Welcome to Building Bridges, the podcast that explores the journeys of individuals who have overcome challenges and forged their path to success professionally and in life. Join us as Amit Shaw, CEO at Chemcrest, sits down with associates, executives, and industry partners to delve into the inspiring stories that shape their own pursuits. Whether it's finding the strength to persevere, developing effective leadership skills, or fostering resilience in the face of adversity, Building Bridges is here to inspire, inform, and empower you on your own journey. Without further ado, this is Building Bridges. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Building Bridges. Today is an exciting episode because I'm joined by Marty Brown, Chemcrest's new Vice President of Sales and Marketing. So, Marty, I'm really excited for this, and thank you for taking the time. Thank you, Cameron. I'm very excited to be here and chat with you today. Yeah, so... To dive right in, let's get into some of your background to give the listeners some context. So you have an interesting background, kind of starting in tech and e-commerce. What was that transition like for your journey, going from tech and kind of the strategy side and then moving into eventually you did get into manufacturing. What was that like, that shift? Yeah, so that was that was definitely an interesting shift for me career-wise, but it's been consistent with uh, just how I approach my life, really. Um for example, I'm an English major who later went on and got an MBA, and I, I really uh, see myself and always have seen myself as a generalist who is interested in many things, not uh, not the hedgehog who uh, is only interested in a single thing. And yeah. and I think my transition from tech and software and e-commerce into manufacturing is is definitely one manifestation of that. Yeah. And to, to dive specifically into that transition. Um, one of the biggest things that stood out to me was in the e-commerce and, and software world, I really learned the value of testing and experimentation. Mm. And in that world, it was really easy. We could launch an A-B test on our website or we could launch a product feature um, in an application or piece of software with a couple different variants and then within hours or days we would know yeah. which direction is is more optimal to go. And so one of the biggest transitions I had to make was moving into the manufacturing world um, was learning how to think in an experimental way and in an mm-hmm. A-B testing type of way, but translate that out into the real world yeah. where you're not dealing with um, ones and zeros and colors on a screen. You're dealing with real products, um, actual end customers who, who may not know the results of a campaign or of a product launch for months. Yeah. Um, but I do think uh, that that background, that basis in in the, in the mindset from tech and software where anything can be tested, yeah. you just have to be creative about doing it, uh, definitely helped me uh, as I transitioned over to, you know, more old line industries like manufacturing. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be curious, kind of going into like your e-commerce background, especially when you mentioned you can A/B test. You can get the consumer's point of view right away, direct to consumer. What was that shift like getting into? Um, you, you mentioned A/B testing also into manufacturing. What, what did you notice the different dynamics between the two of those? I know time length, but what different approaches did you have to take to make sure that those campaigns were proofed as well? Yeah, I, I really think you you just hit on kind of the main difference, which is the uh, the timing. So mm-hmm. in in the in the software world, you can have real-time or close to real-time feedback. But then when I transitioned into um, the manufacturing world where products that are being produced may have a 10, 12 plus week lead time and then they go into a warehouse and they don't uh, land in the, the end customer's lap for you know weeks or months later, 
let alone the time it takes to get the data back. Yeah. And so I think um, the biggest adjustment I had to make was just getting used to not being able to see those real-time results, but being patient, being creative with uh, the teams and customers I was working with to understand that even though the data was going to take months to get back rather than mm-hmm. days to get back, there was still really valuable uh, nuggets and insights to be gained about the customer yeah. if we were patient and, and saw the process through. Yeah, at, at this point in your journey, what role did building bridges play within kind of the development phase? So within the customer, within your own team, you guys have to make sure you're aligned and respond to that feedback you get promptly. What role did building bridges play within that? Yeah, I, th- I think the the biggest role that, that building bridges played was, and you, you probably hear this word a lot in, in the in the series about building bridges on this podcast, but it was really gaining trust with the customer mm-hmm. because I think selling the idea of uh, experimentation or testing internally was never that hard of a lift, but then going out uh, and, and finding the right customers that had the trust, that had the open-mindedness to test something or experiment on a program with us, mm-hmm. that was really where um, most of the work uh was involved in terms of building bridges. And so pitching the customer on the idea, letting them know the benefits and early insights they may gain from the, from the test or experiment, but then also letting them know, Hey, this might not work. We might put in three months, six months of work and find out that there's no impact or find out that the results are flat and just being upfront with them about that, um, showing all of our cards so that they would know, Mm -hmm. Hey, this isn't necessarily a, uh, going to be a win-win. It may just be a, a dud. Yeah. Um, but I think being upfront about that did help to build trust and did help to uh, gain buy-in with uh, key early customers that we did some of these tests mm-hmm. and experiments with out in the real world. Certainly. Getting into your manufacturing background, kind of shifting into that, I know you you were part of the transformation and really kind of the, the commercial strategy side of things. So what did that look like for you in your career? And that, that next step going from kind of the e-commerce background. I mean, this is a huge shift. And then getting into strategy and transformation. So what key concepts did you look for this organization to really transform or get into new sectors? Yeah, I would, I would say that the biggest thing um, that, I, that I carried into um, my roles uh, leading and transforming uh, commercial teams was always start with data. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is something that I, that I learned Back in back in my very early strategy consulting days, and then that carried through into my uh, e-commerce and, and software days. But it has really uh, resonated throughout my my commercial experience as well, because as as I think you're aware from my resume, I didn't come through the ranks carrying a bag, um, being out there um, and, and and owning accounts and making sales. Um, in yeah. in an odd way, I started by managing and transforming these teams and kind of learning uh, from the middle of it rather than learning from the, from the bottom up. Yep. But I think the way I was able to supplement that and, and get some of that bottoms up expertise was by making sure we were measuring the right things, making sure we were collecting the right data, and then using that to make decisions and present things to the team. Mm. Um, since I didn't have that firsthand bag carrying experience yep. um, from earlier in my career. And so, um, the biggest thing that, uh, that, that that I did, you know, specifically around how that data was able to lead us to um, 
the right types of decisions and transformation projects um, in, inside a commercial organization um, was really, really several things. One was it just made everyone more accountable mm-hmm. because I came into a couple different uh, sales organizations where um, even if the team did a great job with customer relationships, account management, when it came to new account growth, mm-hmm. when it came to understanding their their activities and their numbers, yeah. um, the cupboard was empty. And, and, and it yeah. wasn't that the team didn't want to be held accountable or wasn't working hard. It was that no one had set the bar yeah. and said, here's where we're trying to go. Here's how we're going to measure progress. Yeah. Um, and so that's why I, I couldn't just come in to a couple of these transformation situations and and, and just tweak a target. We had to make the target from the ground up. We had to say, okay, we're not measuring this today. We're not measuring um, leads. We're not measuring opportunities. Yeah. Um, we're not really measuring our marketing efforts. And so in, in both of the uh, commercial transformations that I led, we really had to start with some foundational mm-hmm. metrics just to figure out um, what we were going to measure and how success would be uh, determined as we went along. For sure. Now, I love that. And I recognize some of the powerhouses that I see in some different industries as well. Like 80% of the vocab is speaking data. It's, I mean, if, if you back it with that, no, no other thing could be said. Um, yeah. Kind of proving that. So looking back at kind of especially that shift in your career, can you um, look back at maybe a particular moment or a milestone that you're proud of? of maybe you guys have – you did reach that next milestone or that next step forward uh, within the, the company. Yeah, I, th- I think I think probably the the first one that stands out is at, at one of the transformations that I that I supported. Yep. The company had never really tied sales salesperson's compensation to mm. new business or commissions. Interesting. And it was a very professional sales team. Everyone on the team had lots of years of experience, and and that really was one of the team's strengths. But they had never been challenged around business development mm-hmm. and what people would call hunting uh, rather than farming. And what I think what I'm most proud of in, in terms of how we brought that along was the whole leadership team and the ownership group was was worried that when we rolled this plan out, there would be you know big concerns and questions and and some of the sales team might look down on the plan and or, freeze up because they, they, they think it's a totally different path than they've been on before. Mm. But yes, there were some initial questions. Yes, there were some initial concerns. But I would say within about a week of rolling out the plan, yep. the team was excited. They were looking at the dashboards. They were uh, asking more detailed, uh, nuanced questions about the program. And so mm. the fact that we're able to completely change the incentive plan from really just a base salary with a with a small company-wide uh, bonus target attached to it to a much more individualized mm-hmm. account level um, incentive plan ended up being a win-win and there wasn't as much of a um, concern around the rollout as a lot of people had envisioned and I think that that gave everyone confidence that all right yeah. this, this new direction is maybe a little scary For but sure. it's not something that that our team of professionals can't handle. For sure. And it's interesting because I know uh, Amish, he describes Chemcrest as a sales-driven organization. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to use the analogy of like a bike tire, bike wheel, and you know, spindles 
if one spindle is off within the organization, the spindle represents a department, that wheel and the organization can't flow fluently. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the collaboration p- between sales, marketing, finance, other departments, and the important synergy and alignment that's needed to push the organization forward. How important is that synergy organization-wide to understand that big picture? Yeah, I, I, I think the collaboration and synergy is, is critical, but, but, but I, like, I like where you started the question as far as Chemcrest being a sales-driven organization, and it reminds me of one of my yep. um, former colleagues, a, a sales leader who I've learned a ton from. His mantra was always, sales leads the way. Yep. And he didn't mean it in a uh, pompous or arrogant way, but he meant it in terms of helping the sales team understand that they need to approach every internal meeting, every customer meeting with the confidence that sales is on the forefront of the organization. And it's not because yeah. sales is the best or you know sales has, uh, has any kind of uh, special privileges. The reason sales teams have permission to lead the way in a company is because they're closest to the customer. Yeah. They are out there always assessing customer needs, always trying to match um, in this case, Chemcrest's capabilities to what the customer needs. Yeah. And so it really is a uh, special responsibility. It's, it's really a privilege that sales teams have to be that close to the customer. Sure. And that's why it's imperative that sales have that that swagger um, as far as leading the way, as far as helping to drive the company. Because um, I'm a big believer that customers are what drive uh the direction a, a, a company should go doesn't mean the customers are always right yeah. but if you listen to your customers nine times out of ten they will tell you where you should be going next for sure and so since sales organizations tend to be the closest to that information and those customers that's why it's imperative that uh, sales leads the way even as they Definitely. collaborate and work professionally with you know finance operations supply chain other uh, parts of an organization certainly I know there has to be a healthy balance uh, between automation and, and sales. So automation and also that personal one-on-one relationship with the customer. Within kind of especially your past five years, looking into the future as well, what kind of role do you think like automation, AI can play into succeeding a sales department? Maybe it's dashboards, automated dashboards. What, what other areas would you see? Yeah, I, I think you, you hit a big one. Um, automated dashboards that allow a sales team to know where they stand at any time. Yeah. Um, we know that because of, uh, you know, different ERP systems and different processes, we're not always going to have true real time uh, sales data, but you always want, you know, at the end of a week, at the end of a month without uh, delay, you always want a sales team to know where they stand. Was it a good month? Was it a good week? How are we turning this quarter this year? Yep. Um, and I think, fortunately, Chemcrest has built some really great foundational tools there. So I, I think um, my influence there is really just going to be to tweak and improve, not not necessarily build from the ground up. Yep. The other area where I think automation is going to really help uh, drive some results for Chemcrest is in the marketing organization. Yep. Um, Chemcrest has a very new uh, marketing function just within the last uh, year or two. And I think that we're really just starting to scratch the surface um, using some pretty common tools like like HubSpot and, and our CRM system um, to automate the uh, prioritization and follow-ups on leads um, yep. and and um, you know other marketing programs. I think we're we're really just starting to scratch the surface on the capabilities there. For sure. Touching on kind of like your point of view coming in here, you, you mentioned it's fairly new, especially some of the. Um 
um, the entryways and within marketing, for example, what's something that excites you that to, to bring to the table or you see some massive opportunity uh, just coming into Chemcrest? Yeah, so I, I, I think the biggest one that, that stands out to me is going back to my, my uh, last answer. Yep. It's the fact that the marketing function is so is so new here. Yeah. Um, and I've seen at other, at other organizations when you are able to really get marketing up and running as a lead generation um, hub, yep. that can really help kickstart a commercial engine. For sure. And so when I think about Chemcrest's talented, experienced sales team, combining that with um, with 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 a with a team on the marketing side that can generate reliable, consistent leads, yep. I think that could be a really really powerful combination that, that the organization just hasn't really sure. um, spun up in the past. Oh, for sure. Looking at um, our our team, especially in the past two years, you, you know, a lot of Chemcrest leadership team is fairly new as well, and it's really exciting because the, the past year has been a historic year for Chemcrest. Um, looking at the diverse leadership we have today, but in your own style, how would you describe kind of your core values as a leader and how you lead and approach that leadership as, for a team? Yeah, I, I would say uh, one of the biggest things I focus on from a uh, leadership standpoint is you always have to walk that fine line mm-hmm. between, as I mentioned earlier, being very data-driven and analytical, yep. but also trusting your gut and trusting your team in the right situations. Um, and I think that I have a natural bias toward starting with the data, looking at the numbers, but we all know about the problems that come along with analysis paralysis. And so yeah. there's a, uh, I think it's a Colin Powell quote, I, I may be wrong, but he basically has a 40-70 principle mm-hmm. where he says, I don't want to make any decisions with less than 40% of the necessary information but if I wait until I have 70 or more uh, percent of the information, then I'm probably overanalyzing it. Yeah. And so um, I've been really encouraged by my initial uh, interactions and time spent with the leadership team. Mm-hmm. Um, just there, there's a high level of candor. There's a high level of uh, trust that I can already feel being built. And, and I think uh, as long as we can maintain that balance between being data-driven but not over-relying or over-analyzing things, yeah. I think that, that can be a really helpful tool to make sure that we are making quick decisions and, and keeping the organization moving forward quickly. Yes, certainly. Uh, reflecting on your own journey, what would you say are some of those key lessons that you've learned, maybe from a, a leader from your past or just even being a leader in the past few years as well? What are some of those key lessons that you've learned that have adapted? Yeah, I think, I think, yeah, I, I think the... I think the biggest thing I've learned is that to be a good leader, you really need to allow room for your own style because there's thousands of management books and courses and, and systems that, that can uh, hone a leader. But I think if a leader ever finds him or herself just trying to emulate something in a course or something in a book or even something that they see in another leader, they're going to end up losing some of their authenticity and and, and genuineness. And so, well, I think it's good to take in all those best practices and all those um, recommendations from from a lot of the great sources out there. As a leader, you always need to maintain 
um, a little bit of you know your core principles, your core values, yeah. and make sure that those aren't aren't shaken or aren't uh, diluted mm-hmm. throughout whatever other um, principles or best practices you're you're incorporating into your style. Oh, certainly, I love that point. As we're looking uh, wrapping up here towards the end, kind of looking at aspiring leaders, especially those who are listening to this podcast in their respective fields. Uh, what's some advice that you might give for like career development and really thriving, proving your point within your um, your spot at your company that you're at today? I think the first thing I would say to professionals who are earlier in their career is say yes to as much as you can. Mm. The, I, I think um, later on in life, as you as you you know maybe start a family or just increase your responsibilities and priorities, there, there comes a natural time where. Uh, saying no becomes the more pertinent advice. Yeah. But early on, when there is the energy and fewer outside of work commitments, etc., um, I'm a big believer that saying yes to as much as you can mm-hmm. um, will uh, will just increase the amount of uh, opportunities that that'll come your way. Mm-hmm. And when you're early on in your career and you have lots of optionality, um, that's a good way to ensure you don't uh, miss out on any doors that could be uh, within reach. Mm-hmm. Love it. Well, to wrap up here, if there's any other points um, around building bridges, say within the organization, within family, within community, especially from your point of view, how do you manage building those bridges within maintaining a healthy balance overall? I I think the biggest thing is uh, face-to-face relationships. Um, And and that that comes out of, you mentioned earlier, my, my experience of, you know, about the last eight years I've been in manufacturing companies and whether you're talking about associates who work out on the plant floor or whether you're talking about customers who uh, live in C-suites halfway across the country. Especially coming out of COVID, I've found that nothing can beat, in terms of building trust, building bridges, nothing can beat face-to-face interactions. Mm -hmm. And so um, I've I've talked to Amish a lot about this here, and and I'm going to try to hold myself to it as well. Whether it's our headquarters here in Elkhart or some of our other sites, it's going to be a priority for me to get out and, and meet people face to face, start building uh, real relationships, and then as I settle into the role, as I as I get to know people, yeah. I think there's always time and room for more Zooms and team meetings. But initially, for building trust and building relationships, nothing beats those face to face interactions. And on the commercial side, that's something we're really emphasizing. And I was excited to see Chemcrest um, and our director of sales, uh, Bill Crosby, emphasizing early on face-to-face meetings. You know, we we can look at contact sheets. We can look at leads all day long in a spreadsheet. But one way we're going to measure it and hold the team accountable is through face-to-face meetings. And uh, I'm very supportive of that. And I think that that's uh, a great way to to build bridges and build commercial success. Love it. Well, again, Marty, thank you so much. There's so much opportunity here. within Chemcrest, within the commercial, with an expansion, and just the energy that you're bringing within the organization here is really exciting. So thanks for taking the time, and to the listeners out there, make sure to check our other episodes out in the link in this description. Um, we'll see you guys next time. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Building Bridges. If you would, leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, make sure to click the link in this description to keep up to date with future guests.